This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is the Skate Podcast, talking Bruins hockey with WEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some beast talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEI. Woo! Welcome into episode 215 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Bridget and Scott, the off-season of misery for the Boston Bruins and their fans continues. Another one bites the dust. David Krejci has retired from the National Hockey League and is no longer a Boston Bruin officially. We knew this was coming, but it's just the off-season starts in April with a very, very, very disappointing playoff exit and then Bergeron retires a few months later and then a few weeks later David Krejci retires and what's the pulse of of the two of you what's the pulse of the Bruins fan base this summer you know it's weird because it's been such a slow burn that it feels like you know we've already had all these conversations about like okay what do they do if Bergeron and Krejci are gone it's like well there's so much time you know I think we've all talked about that you know for months and honestly even last offseason when we didn't yet know their decisions um so you know it's not i feel the same way like i did when birds are tired where it's like there's not a surprise here it's not like you know crazy the bruins released crazy's statement monday morning and i don't think anyone was like oh my god i can't believe crazy retired like everyone kind of knew it was coming but you know yeah it's still you know, it's still pretty, it's a bummer, right? Cause it, like, it is the end of an era and, you know, seeing them both now actually officially retire really kind of hammers at home where it's like, especially with Bergeron until we got that announcement, there was at least a chance he was coming back. You know, that's one where I think all of us like legitimately didn't know for sure. You know, maybe you leaned one way, one week, another way, another time or whatever. Krejci, I think we all, you know, expected to to be gone. So less surprise, less sort of, you know, 
I guess it doesn't quite hit as hard because we weren't ever really planning for the possibility that he might be back. Whereas with Bergeron, you know, I think the week before we had done an episode of here's how they look with him. Here's how they look without him. Like it was, you know, it was still very much on the table. So yeah, you know, you, you do some, some reflection on, on their obviously incredible careers and this whole era. And then, you know, yeah, you kind of, you can't help but now look forward and, and look at, you know, okay, what's, what's there, what's next, you know, both at sort of like the micro at, at the center position, what's next with those two gone, but then even bigger picture of like, what is this next year look like? What does this next era look like? Who are, you know, who steps up and takes over as leaders and, and all that stuff. And I also feel like it wasn't shocking because Krejci has done this before. Uh, this isn't the first offseason where we got news that Krejci wasn't going to be playing for the Bruins. Um, I think it was more surprising when we found out last offseason he was coming back. Um, and I feel like the very first time around that Krejci decided he didn't want to play in the NHL and, and went back to play in the Czech Republic, was when I felt I felt really old because uh, when I first really was getting into the Bruins, uh, Krejci was my first favorite player. So when he stepped away from the NHL the first time, I was like, "What happened? Like I, I feel so old." And now this summer, whether you're you know me and Brian's age or you're older, you're you're feeling your age a little bit. You can bit. say it. You can say it, Bridget. Scott's age. Not I'm not saying our age. <laughs> I'm not. Getting um, older like Scott. When you get older like Scott. You get Okay, yeah. When you're Scott's age and you remember, you know, way back. But uh, <laughs> no, it, it makes you feel old. And I think that, like, it ter- makes you reflect on, like, what the hell happened to the last I'd say, you know, 15 years since, like, or even before that, since when Krejci and Bergeron started, it doesn't feel that long ago. But um, now we're sitting around going, okay, well, that is the end of an era for sure. And like you said, Scott, um, what's to come in the new era? Even Krejci did touch on it a little bit. He was asked, Bergeron wasn't really asked about the next group of leadership, but Krejci was. And, I mean, he brought up Charlie McAvoy a lot. He brought up David Pasternak a lot. Uh Charlie Coyle, he mentioned as a leader. Uh, so I think that they have they they have guys that have been able to learn around guys like Bergeron and Krejci and Chara for a long time. And even, you know, some of the younger goalies like Swayman played a year with Tuca. Um, there, there's been a at least that transition period where some of the younger guys kind of get what the whole Bruins culture is about and uh, seems to they seem to be they have the right characters I think you know they're not I don't think they're lacking that next level the next generation of leadership I think they already have it so that's something that that Krejci was asked about during his media availability the two of you were on the zoom call there was a quote that I that that stuck out to me that I saw um, Scott was there a quote in particular uh, from the media availability that stood out to you and just some general updates, some laundry keeping from, from that uh, availability that maybe listeners uh, would like to hear from as well. Yeah. I don't know if, if there was like one specific quote that stuck out. I, I think overall, you know, I came away feeling the same way I did when we talked to Bergeron 
which is like he's content with his decision and clearly knew it was time. He on multiple occasions cited his health. Uh, he mentioned that, you know, this past season was hard on, on him and his family because his his family came up a few times throughout the year, but mostly spent the year down at their home in South Carolina. So, you know, he wasn't with them a lot. Um, and Krejci, by the way, was in South Carolina now. Uh, that's where he usually goes every summer anyways and is, you know, where he did his Zoom with us from. Um, but yeah, he, he said that he, he kind of knew when he started getting injuries late in the season and, you know, we know he missed time in the playoffs, but let's not forget. He also missed quite a bit of time down the stretch. Uh, I think it was about 12 games over the last, you know, month or so of the season that he missed. Um, he said he kind of knew we kind of chalked that up to rest, right? We thought they were just playing it super, super safe. And it turns Mm -hmm. out. He was actually hurt and it lingered into the playoffs and forced him to miss games there as well. Um, so he said he kind of had a good idea once he started, once the injuries kind of got to him that it was time. And he, he even said, you know, he knows his body can't handle 82 games anymore. He didn't totally close the door on potentially playing for Czechia in the world championships in the spring. Uh, because they're in Prague, and that's something that would mean a lot to him. But he said, you know, he probably won't make any decision along those lines until Christmas time, and then he would have to, you know, play play a little bit somewhere in Europe in the second half of the season, and then get ready for that. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of what stood out to me is just that he clearly knew it was time. He, you know almost felt like there really wasn't another option like health wise. He just, you know, he, he knew his body was telling him that, that that's it. You know, he didn't quite hold up through an entire game this season. And he doesn't think he would have been able to hold up next year either. Yeah. I think what, I think we got some answers to some of the questions. Um, Once again, he was actually more straightforward and clear about, how his health factored into him making this decision. And he said that it, it kind of just makes me think how catastrophic it was that last few weeks of the regular season um, that led to Bergeron and Krejci getting injuries and kind of that setting into their mind. Okay. I don't think my body can handle this anymore because in maybe in an alternative universe, they don't get hurt. And first of all, you're better off in the first round playoffs probably go differently, but maybe they're also thinking, all right, I'm still good to go for another season. So you think back on those final weeks of the regular season and you, you kind of know now that those were some really deciding uh, days of these two guys deciding to retire. So one thing that Krejci mentioned that uh, Bergeron said he wouldn't have needed surgery to come back. Krejci said he would have. So we were not 100% sure what kind of surgery it would be, but he said he knows that basically, and I think because of needing the surgery is why he kept saying like his body wouldn't have been ready ready for a full NHL season because I'm guessing it would have involved recovery time of missing some months in the season, having to rehab, get back into things, and him just not thinking his body could handle it or that or at least not at the level that he would be able to help his team out as much as he would want to. So um, 
he said he had known from that injury that he was probably going to retire, but he didn't want to say because he didn't want to make an emotional decision, which is kind of something Bergeron said as well. Uh, a quote that stood out to me was Krejci talking about Mark Savard and Patrice Bergeron and how impactful they were on Krejci in the beginning of in the beginning of his career in particular. And I was happy to hear him mention Savard because I just feel like Mark Savard's presence was a big. He he was I feel like he was a heavy influence on the Bruins turning into Stanley Cup champions in 2011. Although he wasn't on the ice much at all that entire season, but. I mean, he was, he was that, that era of Bruins hockey, quite literally, like even the year they won the cup, had he been healthy, he would have been their number one center. Like he was their number one center. People forget. And it's, and it's understandable. Cause like when you win a cup, sometimes you just, you fall in love with the players that did it and rightfully so. But the Bruins won that cup without their number one center going into that season. And that was Mark Savard. And, and while they did most of the year without him because of the lingering concussion issues from the pr- year prior, he was a very integral part of that of that Bruins era from 07, honestly 06, 06 to health permitting 2011. But I just feel like Mark Savard's name isn't mentioned as often as it should be and doesn't get the credit he deserves in that time because in 07, 08, Bergeron went down the whole year and Krejci hadn't yet really debuted. He had a couple games under his belt maybe, but Mark Savard and Mark Savard alone was your center depth that year. And he, he willed them to, to oppose season with one center. Could you tell me who the Bruins second center was before David Krejci emerged when Bergeron was hurt? It was probably Krejci probably got a, a shot pretty quickly, but it was just, my point is he wasn't established and Mark Savard was a big presence. I'm, so I was, I was happy to hear Krejci mention Savard and it makes me think about Pavel Zaka and Charlie Coyle and how they have had a chance to look at Bergeron and Krejci as well, because Krejci talked about how Savard and Bergeron didn't hold hands. They led by example, but made you sink or swim on your own ultimately at the end of the day. And so Charlie Coyle and Pavel Zaka, I'm sure have, have learned under that same guidance. I guess the question is, and this isn't to divert from the Krejci conversation, but um, like does Zaka and does Coyle, do they have the skill set? to to be what the Bruins need them to be because it's still fa- I understand the Bruins have been competing f- for cups for a long time and that comes at the cost of trade deadline um, acquisitions and giving away draft collateral and, and it, there's a cost to staying to near the top and because of that the Bruins haven't had high draft picks and there's a reason why the center ice position hasn't been easy to to re- restock but the Bruins still essentially waited for Bergeron and Krejci to retire before they were like, okay, now what do we do? <laughs> so that, and I, I just find that, and I know like you're waiting on their decisions, but it's just, it's, it's a little, I can't help but feel it's irresponsible. And you can sit there and say, you owe the, the management owes it to the players to give them the time they need fine. But what you're left with now is you're going into a season where you're still trying to compete and, and center ice is a glaring weakness for this team. There's not a ton of weakness outside of center ice, but center ice is the weakest position. So has the fabric that Bergeron, Krejci, and Savard before them, like, is that going to be in- installed in Coyle and Zaka, or is are they just a little in over their heads as far as what they're being asked to do going into the next year, at least as it stands today? Yeah, it, it, it's a good point. And, you know, I would add Trent Frederick. I know he didn't play a ton of, ton of center, but he's been around long enough to pick up a lot from those guys. And, you, you know, we know he's picked up from Charlie Coyle because they've been on the same line, but like you, you hope he's picked up from those guys as well. 
Um, yeah, you're right. Like it's it's almost two different things because it's like you can you can learn the work ethic and the culture and how to handle yourself as a professional day in day out. And you know, at, at the very least, I certainly think Charlie Coyle has that. I think we we see that all the time from him. But then having the skill set and like actually being able to go out and play that role on the ice is is something else. Like it, you know, you're right. It, it's possible that Charlie Coyle you know, just might not be good enough to produce the way you need a top two center to produce. It's possible that Pavel Zaka might not be ready after, you know, uh, you know, certainly like a breakout season, but still just one year in Boston. So, um, you know, they're, they're going to find out they don't have any other options. So uh, we'll see. But yeah, you know, they, I mean, I do think they took at least, like, I do think they took a couple swings at like, trying to build something towards the future when it comes to the, the center position and maybe just, you know, missed or didn't quite work out. Like I think when they signed coil to that extension and you look at the money he got, I think part of that was in their minds, there was a projection that, you know, there was still more than, than he had shown. There's still more offense and maybe he could be a number two center down the road. And now he's finally going to get a chance, but you know, so so far, I'd say what we've seen from Charlie Coyle is a really good number three center, but someone that you definitely have question marks as to whether they're just going to, he's just going to produce enough offense to be a top two center. Um, you know, they used the first round pick on Johnny Beecher. He just never really developed offensively. And, you know, he might still have an NHL future, obviously, but it looks like it's more likely going to be on a third or fourth line. So, yeah, they've taken more swings recently, whether it's the, Zaka trade or other draft picks like Quatra, Harrison, Spicer, Locke Nellis, you know, all these centers they've drafted in recent years, signing Georgie Merkulov out of Ohio State. But those guys are all, you know, at least a year, two, three years away. We don't really know. Like, they're developing is still happening. So, um, yeah, obviously, they didn't get the, the timing right. Like, it, it would be great if you had your next two number two centers ready to go. And, you know, they step right in when Bergeron and Krejci retire, but it doesn't always work that smoothly. You know, you can't, you can't always have the, the Aaron Roger. I mean, uh, Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers succession plan. Like it doesn't always go that smoothly in sports. Uh, you just made me think it, nothing went smoother than the Tom Brady, Cam Newton transition. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was that was great for the picture. That was such a, that such an epic transition. That one. Um, sorry, you made me lose my train of thought. With <laughs> Hope, hopefully, none of these guys are, are Cam Newton. Hopefully, they're at least a little better than that. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, but I mean, this is going to be the season where there's going to be some major growing pains uh, because you're you're needing to for people to step up in such a big way in order for the season to. I don't even want to say go like last year. It's not going to go like last year, but to go in an acceptable direction where you can work with it, you can make the playoffs and you actually look a season that you can look back on next year and go, okay, well, we did see the growth that we wanted from some of these guys. Uh, Charlie Quill, I think is a really good leader. We have, we haven't even talked about Brad Marchand, but as one of the, the leaders we have on past episodes, but um, it kind of feels like, 
it's his turn to take over some of the responsibility of the leading by example. And yeah, um, and it's worth noting that that Krejci did mention Marshand right. Yes, off the he bat. did. We just yeah. haven't mentioned that him. Right. Yeah, on this episode, we have previously. I mean, more more likely than not, that's going to be who wears the next C for the Bruins. So, um, if you're talking about the transition, you still have some guys there that, like Marshawn, who's been there for a long time. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. But, and this is something else that Krejci brought up, Uh, you know, as good of a a player as Pasternak and some of the young guys are, this next group of leadership has hasn't won a Stanley cup. So you're looking at um, the core that used to be there that had, that had the Stanley cup under their belt in 2011. And that is really gone away. And Marshawn's still there, but the next group of guys are hungry for their own Stanley cup. Uh, in particular, someone like David Pasternak, who is, you know, he's so good. He, he deserves one. I could say that the same thing about McDavid, that that hasn't happened for him either, but um the one, the most optimistic thing that Krejci said in the whole press conference was that, um, you know, that Pasternak doesn't have the Stanley Cup yet, but he thinks that um, he'll do it in Boston. So uh, he was still very optimistic about the Bruins' future. Well, the Bruins' future is definitely optimistic on the back end and on the wing as long as Pasternak is there and in goal. Um, but, you know, I guess – if you're, if you're not going to have the next guys ready to go when Bergeron and Krejci retire, I get that. The timing is tough, especially when you're competing. I think what is going to be sorely missed in the development of players like Georgie Merkulov, should he be NHL-bound one day, or Matthew Poitra, should he be NHL-bound one day, is they're not going to have the ability to sit on a bench on a fourth-line role or a third-line role and watch – Bergeron, how he plays the game 200 feet and say, okay, this is how I have to play uh, center ice. And he's got, so, so now the, any center that the Bruins have currently drafted or will draft in the future, they're going to have to kind of sink or swim on their own. And they're going to have to develop through great coaching. And who knows, maybe Bergeron comes back in a coaching capacity at some point or just helps. I don't, you have, you have no idea. Um, Nobody really helped Bergeron. I mean, he was behind Joe Thornton for a couple of years before the Bruins traded him. I wouldn't say Bergeron modeled his game after Joe Thornton. They were kind of two different players completely. So Bergeron was able to... Bergeron, that was his DNA. It was his DNA to be the the type of player that he was. So I guess the Bruins, I'm sure their scouting department is in search of players that might have that similar makeup like a Bergeron to be self-motivated and have that self-drive 
Um, and maybe a player like Matthew Poitra is one of those who knows. I mean, he's probably the highest rated centerized prospect they have right now besides Merkulov. So that's why I'm mentioning those two names. Um, I guess that's just a missed opportunity because it's one thing for Charlie Coyle and Pavel Zaka to watch the Krejci and Bergeron. That's great. I mean, they're established NHL players. Like they've, you know what I mean? Uh, Trent Frederick, sure. He, I don't think he has the ceiling of a number one center at all um, or number two center really. So those players, it's great for them to have watched Bergeron and Krejci, but not having any of their recent draft picks have a chance to kind of watch them up close and personal, I think is a missed opportunity. The roster wasn't really open for anybody recently, so I'm not, I get it. I'm just saying in theory, it'd be nice if at one point, like if the Bruins, if they came back one more year, right? If Bergeron and Krejci came back for one more year for the hundredth season and, and um, in a perfect world, maybe a Merkulov sneaks into a lineup later and who knows or whatever. But uh, as you guys have mentioned off the top, um, family and injuries really prevented these two players from coming back. And so it is what it is. Um, you just would have liked to at least have some sliver of overlap um, to watch it up, up yeah. close in person. Yeah, well, I, I do think on that same note, like it's huge that pa- Pavel Zaka at least got that, you know. Like he did at least get one year playing with them. And in, in the case of Krejci, literally playing with him on the same line. Um, you know, think about how much worse this would be had they not made that trade last summer. And, you know, Nat, then you're looking at a situation where you have another year of Eric Halla. He probably out the door as a free agent this summer. His contract was up. Um, and then you're, well, then Zaka's, you're still contract for... was, Zaka's contract got renewed during the season. He technically yeah. at the time was going to be a free agent too. Right. But like, imagine, you know, you're looking for signing another center or trading for one or, or whatever. And we know what their cap situation was. So it's like, you're right. Like it would have been great for some other guys to, to get that chance to, you know, maybe have already moved into a third or fourth line role and, and play behind Bergeron and Krejci in the lineup. But on the, on the optimistic side of that, uh, at least Zaka did. And, and he's, you know, a huge part of this equation going forward. Yeah, that was huge. Getting Zaka was, was huge. It turned out to be a much bigger move than it seemed like at the time. Um, because I mean, even coming in, it was kind of like, okay, this is a guy that we haven't followed him very closely. He's a winger, like they need centers, but you know, you look back at where he was drafted and how he, where he played growing up and being able to be that versatile winger and center helped them this past season. But, uh, in theory, he's, and he signed for what, four more years. So um he's part of that next that plan um and i'm happy it worked out for him i mean the the organization as well they're taking a risk they didn't know he hadn't had any super impressive seasons he had struggled in new jersey um for probably just for lacking that right fit but it was kind of a if you remember the first few months of the season before he got the extension it was kind of like a uh prove yourself situation like we will extend you but you got to show us first that you can handle it and he did and now he's here um for the longer term so he did everything he needed to do to give the Bruins hope that he can fill in as the number one center or number two center which in my mind I I would call him the number one center now just because I think he's your your best center currently and not to take anything away from Charlie Coyle because Obviously, Charlie Coyle has played center for almost the majority of his 
like NHL career. And then you have Zaka who not fully established there yet, but I still think he fit wise is probably your number one center on, on your, your line. So uh, that was a huge get. Eric Hollow was not going to be part of the long-term answer here with the Bruins. Um, Zaka is also younger um, and plays a more similar center style to Bergeron than Hala did. So he was in, and, and to your point, Brian, he played with both Bergeron and Krejci for a year. And those two guys are people he had already said he was trying to model his game after when he was coming up. So I'm sure that was a huge help for him. Yeah, he has, he, as it pertains to Co- him versus Coyle, I mean, Zaka has the far higher ceiling. Uh, in particular, offensively, I think that the Halla for Zaka trade—it's—he's um, younger, as you mentioned, Bridget. He's got—he's bigger. I think he's a—I think he's a—he's a smoother skater. I think he's a better skater. I think Halla is fast, but he's choppy. Um, Zaka—he can play different. He—he he can play at different tempos. I think he's got smoother hands, better vision. Like he's just a better player overall. And you're right. It's a massive addition because this time last year, give or take, we were talking about if Bergeron and Krejci don't come back, like you mentioned, Bridget, it was like, well, now they need a number one and a number two center. And that that's not the case right now. I mean, there's a narrative going around that, oh, Bergeron and Krejci have retired. The Bruins are down their, their number one and number two center from last year. Okay. Technically, people are right. I think that's a lazy narrative because I think that in reality, the need right now, the Bruins are a center short, not two. Uh, I don't think that like Krejci, having Krejci on the Bruins last year, this year going forward, like it was a luxury. It wasn't really a necessity for them to be a, a, like he's not like Zaka could be a number two center um, if Bergeron was here. So if, 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 if Bergeron stayed and Krejci retired, the Bruins wouldn't be missing Zaka and, um, or Krejci, I'm sorry, from, from a positional need. So yes, having Zaka, you're down a center, not two. Um, so you're right. It's a, it's, it's a big addition and, and he's here with terms. So going the next, going over the next couple of years here, you just got to find that number one guy and maybe it is Zaka, but you got to find a number two guy. If that's the case, you know, it's just, they're a center, they're a top two center short. That's for sure. Um, will they make a move before the regular season goes to get an, an upgrade? We've talked about this at nauseum. We just don't think it's out there. If it happens, it's going to have to be cr- through creativity and just ways we don't see it. For, But I think Zaka and Coyle are the two guys going into the season. Um, but next year, like they'll definitely be buyers in the offseason and in free agency. If somebody becomes available, the Bruins will be all over it. But you're going to have to get into bidding wars and hope that they choose you. But um, in any event, Yes, Zaka here solves the, the the problem of needing only one center, not two, for sure. Yeah, and if Zaka builds off what he did last year, then he's going to be an underpaid top two center. He's going to be very good value at four point seven five million. Like normally, you know, number one center, you're talking about nine plus million. Number two center, you're usually talking, you know, I don't know, six to eight million in today's NHL. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, if he does grow into that and, and really establishes himself as, if not your true number one center, then, like we said, at least a solid second center or, you know, someone you're just comfortable with on one of your top two lines, uh, then he's also a really good value there. And that helps with your cap situation going forward and helps, you know, 
when, like you said, Brian, like there's going to have to be a bidding war to find a, a true number one center. If that's what they're trying to do, whether it's now trade deadline next summer, all of the above, you know, I think Sweeney's now going to kind of constantly be on that search and exploring any and all options. Um, you know, their cap situation was awful this year, but it will be better next year. And having Zach on a very reasonable contract helps. So um, there's, there's that too. Yeah. And, and by the way, we were talking about them not having the younger guys that they've drafted coming up, but Zaka was a number six overall pick. So you missed on him the first time around. You, you obviously they weren't picking that high. Um, so they weren't going to get a center like him in the draft that year. Um, but they found a way to get him eventually later. Um, and it worked out as like a change of scenery kind of move for both Zaka and Howla and, you know, both of them not fitting necessarily in the organizations they were with. So you luck out that this, number six overall center ends up with you anyway, a few years later after the draft and still young. I think when he came over, he was 25, he's 26 now, I believe um, Zaka. So you end up not having to worry about the fact that maybe in that few drafts, you weren't able to find the solution because you get the guy a little bit later. And then we, the only real other center well, we've it, seen in, in that draft specifically, I mean, they could have gotten a top two center. Yeah, they could have. That, that was 2015 when they yes. did not draft Matthew Bar- Barzell. Yes. They got the and but once again, Zaka was a higher a higher pick than Barzell that they wouldn't have like been able to get even with that pick. But um either way, uh they made up for it, right, Brian, for mm-hmm. that at least yeah years down the road (laughs) and then the the other center prospect recently that we've seen we haven't seen many of their younger guys get a crack at it because they've they've had such a deep professional roster of nhl caliber guys um that had pretty much solidified their positions was the failed jacks the nika experiment um was one of the only other times that and frederick at a time was brought up and playing center and then they moved away from that and moved him to wing but really there haven't been many of the prospects that they have drafted that have gotten a real fair chance at even a fourth line center role because they're bringing in even for fourth line centers they're bringing in a Curtis Lazar they're bringing in a Tomas Nosek they're they're bringing in those lower contract fourth line centers that are more established and play this super defensive way and rather than trying to make this more skilled younger center fit in that fourth line role. Yeah. And, and I, I think we shouldn't just discount and not that we are, but I was just thinking out loud here. Um, you know, Morgan geeky is a guy that like, let's I'm curious. I'm very curious about him. I mentioned it on the last episode. I, for a player, I'm just really interested to see how the season plays out for him along with Zaka. But I mean, could he, could he just what what's his ceiling? Do we know? Like, could he end up? Could he be a? Could he be a, a, a an elite number three center, fringe number two center in the future? Um, is there a yeah, lot I mean, more to yet? Could be a, a kind of change of scenery kind of move that gets him spurred as well. The same way we we're just talking about Zaka last season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, opportunity is sometimes what, what what players need, and 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 he has size. He has a great great release, um, shot first mentality, and. I think skating is what he needs to improve on from what he says about himself and, and others. But, you know, what's his ceiling? What's the ceiling of Jesper Boquist? Um, again, to your point, Bridget, in a new environment with different opportunity. Um, 
are any of those guys number one centers? No. Um, but you know, it's just it's 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 worth following. And you know, do you guys feel like because right now, in my opinion, in net. Bruins are as good as any right now in the league uh, as far as a tandem goes. On the blue line, the Bruins are as good as any in the league, I would say, right now. Um, just about anybody else, I would say. Up front, we've talked about it. They're down a center, a top two center, uh, and they're down a top six wing. Do you feel like there's any chance that either Lysel or Merkulov, and I know Merkulov is a centerman, but as we've seen before, sometimes the transition to the NHL is on the wing just to get you know your feet wet. Uh, he's a left shot. Lysel's a right shot. We know DeBrus can play both sides, so there's flexibility there. Um, I think I'm not going to ask you guys to predict the future, but I think that's a fun storyline to follow too. Can one of those two maybe crack their way into a middle six winger role um, this year? Because I because I really don't think the Bruins. We know they don't have a ton of money, and if they can make a deal and pay for, for forward, it's going to be up the middle, right? At some point, probably not in the wing. They're probably, that's a situation where they're going to try to maybe find that internally. Uh, Cause I don't know if they really love the idea of JVR being like their top goal scoring winger besides after Pasternak or DeBrusque. So um, that's an interesting story on follow. Do you guys feel like there's a ceiling there for either of those two? Yeah, there's definitely an opportunity. Like, you know, you mentioned their, likely down a top six winger. And that's because we think JVR at this point is ideally a third liner. Even if he's in the top six, there's a huge opening on the third line. You know, you pencil Frederick and geeky into two spots, one of them center one wing. And you think those guys are probably third liners. You know, the third player on that line is wide open. Like it, it could be Boquist. It could be Jacob Lauka moving up. You know, or it could be any of these young guys making a push. And I think you put Merkulov and Lysel at sort of the front of that line just because, one, they've already played a professional season. They're, you know, they have the most upside. Uh, they're highly ranked in their prospect system. So, yeah, it would, you hope to see those guys make a push. And whether they ultimately win a spot or not, you know, we'll have plenty of time to, to break that down as camp preseason goes on, but at the very least, yeah, I think you, you want to see those guys have good camp play well, their first preseason game or two or three or whatever, and really make it a conversation and make it interesting and force Jim Montgomery and Don Sweeney to think about keeping them like that, that whether they end up getting the spot or not, like that'd be good if they're just making that push. Cause then at the, even if they don't win an opening night roster spot, at least, you know, they're close and they go down to Providence. They do a little more developing and you think, Hey, you know what? If we need some help come November, December, those guys are ready. We already saw that they were close. Um, it would be, it, you know, now on the, like the flip side, it's not the end of the world. If they're not ready, like those guys do still have some developing to do, but it, it would be like a little disappointing if they're not, if it looks like they're not close, like, like if we get into camp and preseason, it's like, ah, Boquist and Lauko are kind of, you know, clearly outperforming Merkulov and Lysel. And it's not that much of a competition. That'd be kind of disappointing. Like, I just, I want to see like a real push from Lysel and Merkulov. Yeah. And those are thinking about this kind of 
topic is what makes me excited and look forward to hockey season this year and even look forward to preseason because we're weird like that and we like preseason and we like to uh, analyze every little bit of who should move where and where can this person fit and are they ready to come up um and it i'm i'm excited to see how lysel and Merkelov do in preseason we do have to remember lysel is coming back from a concussion. Um, He is cleared to play now, but uh, in terms of getting a full off season to work out and do things, he had to take a bit of time off uh, because of the injury he suffered at the end of last season. So he hopefully has enough time here through, he started coming back mid uh, mid July, right? So he's had all of August um, to work towards things and try to get himself on track for this next season. I also think when you mentioned Brian Zaka being able to learn under Bergeron and Krejci for a year, it would be, I'm sure it would help a lot for Lysel to play with and learn from somebody like David Pasternak. Uh, the sooner, the better with that kind of thing. So um, the quicker you get wingers up to to talk to, you know, the Brad Marchands and David Postanox, who are professionals that have been on the team for a long time, uh, could help with their development as well if it makes sense and if they are determined to have beat out some of the more established guys um, or even just guys that have, like, Lauko, who I wouldn't call him super established, but more established than someone who hasn't played. Yeah, and I think it's fair to – that's a good point, Bridget, and I think that – Merkulov can also uh, learn from Pasternak. In particular, he 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 has a he has a lethal shot, and and he, and uh, you watch him down in Providence last year on their power play. They they like to use Merkulov a lot, um, like Boston does with 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 Pasternak uh, sitting at the circle. They they just play opposite circles because Merkulov is a lefty, so he's at the right the right hash, and Pasternak is at the the left for the one timer. So, like, in regards to perfecting the one-timer and just, you know, movement without the puck on the power play, that's something Merkulov can learn from Pasternak, too. But, um, yeah, it's definitely – look, the 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 doom and gloom cloud that has been over last season's end, um, for me, is completely gone. And it's because, like, you can't – only one team, team wins a Stanley Cup every year. And um, so, if you go into a season with Cup aspirations or not, one team wins, you'll either be disappointed. But I think there's a lot of excitement here for Boston just to watch the development of players. And I do think they're going to be competitive, as we've talked about. They're, yeah, you're you're a top six winger and a top six center short, fine. But everywhere else, the team is pretty complete. And a lot a lot of teams that have number one and number two, number two centers um, can't say that for their team. So what the Bruins lack um, versus other teams, the Bruins have over other teams. It's gonna be that's why it's gonna be very competitive season for i think in the, in the nhl and and yeah i think scott to your point like i would be disappointed if if they're not pushing because merkeloff is 22 and 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 lysel's 20 and we talked about wyatt johnson and dallas like like kids i mean tyler sagan was was on the i know he's number two pick i get it uh different time and era i get it but you know he was 18 years old when he when he was a rookie with the with the bruins and yeah he was a healthy scratch and whatnot but my point is players come into the nhl at 18. So to expect a 20 year old to, to push is completely fair. And certainly for a 22 year old in Merkulov. So there are a lot of fun storylines to watch this year, as far as development, 
uh, chemistry. Um, you have a lot of new pieces on this team, and um, it was a very close locker room last year. They're going to have to bring. They're going to have to. New leaders are going to have to step up. I mean, you, you've lost a lot of locker room presence and a lot of on ice presence, and and to me that creates storylines and excitement. So, um, yeah, it's around the corner. Um, I know Scott, you wanted to discuss a little bit about Krejci's legacy in Boston and and, and what that means. So before can we I get say, there, yeah, can I say one more thing about Merkulov. Um, just yeah. that his situation is also an interesting. Uh, he's an interesting piece in the organization because he was not drafted, so he was right. brought in as a free agent. So we're talking about maybe not landing these, hitting on the draft picks, but evaluating talent and bringing that in from elsewhere, whether it be signing an undrafted college player and getting them into your system or trading for someone, um, but making up for uh, what maybe had been missed in or not timed correctly in terms of drafting a center. Yeah. And, and, and Tory Krug is an example of that too. So, so yeah, I, I want to throw it back to you guys. And that was, that was a while ago, but the Bruins are good at identifying NCAA prospects. And um, so I want to throw it back to you guys before we talk about creating his legacy, just any, any lingering final thoughts on what we've been discussing. No, I don't think so. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, yeah, I mean, with Krejci, I think one of the topics that kind of came up and I tweeted about it a little bit yesterday, uh, is, you know, is his number going, going to be retired? And then sort of secondary to that, how many numbers from this era are going to be retired? Uh, I think we can all agree that 33 for Chara and 37 for Bergeron are obvious. Um, to me, Krejci is also a pretty obvious yes, but there was a little more pushback than I kind of anticipated. Not, not that it was like overwhelming or anything. I think the vast majority of Bruins fans probably think 46 should be retired and, um, you know, 63 will be retired from Marchand when that time comes as well. But um, I'm just curious what you guys think. Like, is there any hesitation or is it, is it clear for you? Like, of course, Krejci's going to the rafters. Uh, I I think he needs to go in the rafters. I he's I think he's misunderstood in, in terms of different parts of his career. I'll get into why he you know he should. It has a lot to do with it. he's among the top five to ten Bruins in most categories, including uh, 
the important stuff, which has to do with playoffs and game sevens um, and the way he's contributed in the in the postseason and, and everything from the number of games he's played, to the number of points he had to when he did it, um, how he did it. And I, I've always said he was underappreciated and I for years have been arguing with people I know and who I don't know about uh, that say, oh, you know, Krejci, we don't trade Krejci or find a, find a younger center, whatever. I just don't think people understand his style necessarily and how he had kind of just had this, I would say, vision, like eyes on the back of his head that I'd watch him from when he first started to, to now and go, I have no idea how he knew that guy was there. I have no idea how he found that seam, how, first of all, he, he knew where everybody was. And second of all, how he was able to do it in the second place. Um, so he, he has, if you're not, if you're a casual hockey fan, some of the nuances of the way he plays and what makes him so good kind of tended to be lost on people. Uh, and his skill set was a lot of it was mental. Um, and he was never flashy and he's a quiet person in general out in the real world. He's quiet, doesn't like to talk, definitely doesn't like to talk about himself. Uh, so he's kind of one of those under the radar players who has put up all of these stats, but never uh, got necessarily the accolades he maybe should have. And I, I think he's good enough to be have his number retired in Boston. Yeah, he's not a hockey hall of famer, but he's without a doubt, a Boston Bruins Hall of Famer. Uh, Bridget, you mentioned he's top 10 in a lot of uh, franchise records. Um, I know he's towards the top in playoff points, playoff games played, um, led the league in scoring uh, in 2011 and 2013 in the postseason. As I mentioned, he uh, first and foremost, he's a champion, right? And there's only so many Bruins in the team's history that can say that. And and I just think that he stepped up big time. Um, I mean, you think about you think about how quickly he developed, right? I mean, he his first year in the NHL, he may have he may have had his NHL debut in the 06-07 season, maybe. Like maybe they called him up for a game, but I'd have to check. But by all he played, accounts, he played, he played six games that year, 06-07. He did okay. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. But um doesn't qualify him as a rookie though, right? His rookie year was right. the following season. And yeah. even that year, he probably played in the 70s, maybe. Does it say Scott? 56. 56 games in 06 in 0708. So so he he went from playing 56 games in 0708. And remember that was when Bergeron went down in the first week of the season. And that's when Mark Savard was your number one center with Lucic and, and Kessel on that first line. Um so he went from playing 56 games that year. Uh, had a lot of chemistry with Marco Sturm to three years later being a first line center for a cup winning team. And as I mentioned earlier, that was the year where Mark Savard, um, he went down, he went down, uh, he had the concussion from Matt Cook the year prior. David Krejci assumed the number one center position and they won a Stanley Cup. And, you know, the Bruins, it says a lot, right? Because the Bruins, the year before, um, David Krejci goes down in the Philadelphia series in game four and the Bruins end up losing the next four games and losing the series and losing and their season ends. Um, so it shows you how important Krejci was to that team's success. And then the following year, you don't have Mark Savard, but you want to stay in the cup. And that's not to discredit Mark Savard at all. I'm just saying like Krejci's absence was too much to overcome. And that was only his like second or third season in the league. So 
Um, his role in Boston Bruins history is that of a guy who's top 10 in a lot of categories. And he's a, he's a first line center on a championship team. And um, what's even more impressive is his offensive numbers. Cause if you look at his, his numbers, like he, he had 73 points a couple times around there. Um, yeah. He was never a guy in any given year where you were like, yeah, he's like a top 20 or 30 forward in the league. Um, he was never a point per game guy in the league. So league wide, he just never got the recognition you mentioned, Bridget, but he also never had a stretch of time outside of 2010 to 2013, like where he had Horton and Lucic for the majority of that. He always had a, a Rolodex of, of wingers. Um, you know, Bergeron had like six years of Krejci with uh, with Pashnak and on his wing with Marshan. Um, Krejci never really had that. He always had to make do with what he had. And I think that, he oftentimes had to play second fiddle, especially like between like 2014 to 2023 to Bergeron. And and um, you just wonder what he could have put up offensively if he had more of a passion act presence a lot more or something like that, like a true sniper or a true goal scorer with them. Um, he never really had that for the majority of his career. So um, his, 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 his offensive numbers may have, may have suffered because of that, but definitely a Bruins Hall of Famer. And uh, yes, his numbers should go up in the rafters as well. Yeah, you mentioned that quick development curve, and really, like even just in one year, from 0708 to 0809, 0708, he has 27 points in those 56 games. Uh, you know, less than half a point a game. 0809, 73 points in 82 games, which and led the NHL in plus minus plus 37. Um, as a third 70- liner that year, as a third liner that year, with with, yeah, uh, with Wheeler it, and Ryder sort of uh, we've talked about this before like i do think like at times that line was really no matter where it was listed was the second line um you know bergeron was coming back from the concussion suffered another concussion certainly offensively had a down year by his standards um but yeah i mean that was a huge jump and that's 73 points that stood as his career high until he matched it 10 years later in 2018-19 and I feel like that 2018-19 season is maybe his most impressive. Um, so I was looking this up before, and because I remember like writing about this at the time, but it's crazy what he did with the revolving door of wingers he had that year. 18-19, David Krejci finished sixth in the NHL in assists per 60 minutes at five on five. The five players in front of him were Nikita Kucherov, Mitch Marner, Evgeny Kuznetsov, Sidney Crosby, and Artemi Panarin. Right behind him was Evgeny Malkin and Connor McDavid. And he played with eight, he played at least 10 minutes of five on five with 18 different wingers that year. 18. Like, it's insane. You guys, you guys want this list? Want to hear yeah. some of these fun names? Yeah, go for Wait, it. It's- Scott, can you can you say that again? He played what with 18 different what? 10 minutes or more. At, at least 10 minutes five. of five on five action. Uh by with comparison, Patrice Bergeron ways. played with seven that year. Krejci this last year played with eight. So we're talking like more than double the number of wingers as what would be normal, I guess. Um but yeah, in t- in order of uh, how much ice time he played with them. Jake DeBrusque, David Pasternak, you know, had some time, but 
it was still only like even with pasta it was 300 out of nearly 1200 minutes um danton heinen joakim nordstrom brad marchand and that's because bergeron missed some time that season uh peter solaric i am amazed he played 166 minutes with peter solaric i did not even remember that peter solaric spent that much time in the nhl that season like that's insane david backus carson coolman Charlie Coyle bumped over to the, the wing at, at times. Ryan Donato, Marcus Johansson, Chris Wagner, Anders Bjork, Sean Corrali, Jacob Forsbacher Carlson, Paul Carey, Lee Stempniak, and Nolachari. <laughs> that what? There's a lot of <laughs> names there that um, you know, whatever happened to JFK, I don't think he ever came back and played in the NHL after that. Um Baka Carlson I'm talking about but um wow. that was one season yeah yeah one year did you say 18 19 or 17 18 18 19 Lee Stepniak was on the team in 18 19 yep he played what? <laughs> I know right I thought I thought he, that was like the two years prior when they missed the playoffs he was on the team at the deadline I'm confused Regardless, Stem- uh, yeah, he, played played two, he played two games that season. I think if I remember correctly, I think that was like a situation where they brought him in like on a tryout and he practiced with them a little bit. And I'm, there must have been an injury situation, but he came in, played a couple games, apparently on a line with David Krejci. So uh, the Peter Solaric numbers must that's not is that counting or discounting like mini hockey in the hotel on road trips? Because <laughs> I don't think they played 166 minutes together. <laughs> But he, whatever like, happened to that? Five guy, on he five was... mini hockey, though, Brian. It was five on five. Yeah, Peter yeah, Solar played twenty games that season in the banquet hall down downstairs next to the the continental breakfast. Um, <laughs> he wasn't bad for a couple of games. I don't. He just kind of like I. I just don't think he had the speed at, at the NHL level. I guess because he he was okay at times. But yeah, that's. But yeah, that just illustrates the point. Like Krejci, just like he was just constantly trying to make make make. Um, you know, chicken soup out of chicken shit, right? And for a lot of his career. And, like, even – I mean, even the Horton-Lucic connection, like, the – the like, when Savard was healthy, Savard was between Lucic and Horton that, that 2010-11 season. When he went down for good, then Krejci assumed that line. And then, you know, 2012-2013, you had a half season because of the lockout. So even, even the time where he had set line mates for, like, three years, it was kind of, like, dependent on a lockout and if was Savard healthy and whatnot. Um, and then he had a Ginla for Horton in 13-14. And then after that, it was just, I mean, Scott just mentioned 18 guys in one season. Krejci must, I mean, the list is, I mean, from like fifth, from, from 2015 to 2017-18, the list was so, like so random. I mean, you got, I mean, you had, you had the Seth Griffiths of the world. You had the Matt Bileskis. I'm sure Jimmy Hayes got a crack with Krejci at one point. I mean, like, I mean, Ryan Spooner, Frank Vetrano. Um, Frankie B. Yeah, I'm it just so and so yeah, and he still had a, a, a franchise Hall of Fame career with all that said. So uh to me he's a no-brainer. Um he'll be he'll be missed, but definitely you know, same thing with Bergeron, like just been an absolute pleasure to watch him. I think with Krejci, we you know, he missed last year by going back to Czechia. So, you know, we're a little bit more um ready for this one i guess but uh yeah bridget you mentioned end of an era um 
even though Lucic coming back makes us want to continue the era for one more year, but it's it, it is the end of an era. I mean, Martian is the last the last one remaining. Lucic comes back for a flash in the pan, but it's it's time for the kids to to take over now, and and it's going to be fun to watch. Hopefully, yeah. they can they can succeed. And one other thing I was going to mention, crazy too, is stepping up in the playoffs right up till the end, literally till the end, even as banged up as he was this past postseason, missing a couple of games in that series. Game seven, Bruins are down two nothing. Krejci scores. Krejci assists on Bertuzzi's goal to tie the game. Krejci assists on Pasternak's goal to put them ahead in the third period. You know, goes out with a goal and two assists in game seven. And we all feel like, you know, that was a third period lead they should have hung on to. And obviously they, they didn't and they end up losing in overtime, but had they held on, that's like yet another page in the in the playoff crutch story um, that, you know, unfortunately gets largely forgotten now. But, you know, the, the story, if, you know, banged up Krejci comes back and has three points in game seven to lead, lead a comeback win. Like, that, you know, we were less than a minute from that happening. Yeah. And in, in, in terms of the, the like playoff stats that you mentioned, I saw NHL PR um, has an Instagram. They put up a few of the like standout stats from Krejci's career. And one of them was um, in 12 career game sevens, he has one goal and 12 assists for 13 points. That, I mean, that's incredible. Um, and he, so he has more than a, a point per game in game sevens. Uh, and he's the only player in NHL history with more, the only player in NHL history uh, besides Justin Williams to have 13 or more points in game sevens um and uh, some of the stats i was mentioning earlier as well um that he finished in the top 10 all-time bruins list was uh fifth in most games fifth in assists ninth in points and tied for sixth in overtime goals so i he's you're you're talking about it's not not really a, a surprise about the assists he's always been a really great setup guy um but also overtime goals, that's that's talking about him being clutch in situations where you needed him to be, just like we were mentioning in the playoffs. Absolutely. And, you know, we were just talking about the role decks of wingers that he had throughout his career. And, you know, that was even evident early on. And, and, and you talk about one thing that you just appreciate from him was his ability to do whatever was asked of him, play with whoever he was asked to play with. And I'm sure there were times where he 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 wanted to be playing with the top wingers on the team, and sometimes those guys went to Bergeron. But you think back to 2011, and not only were the Bruins down Mark Savard uh, as their number one center, so Krejci already assumed that role. And you go into the the finals, and you go down 2-0 to Vancouver. You start game three; it's already an uphill climb. You go down Nathan Horton. So as the Bruins' number one center. He on the fly had to adjust to now Rich Peverly being on his wing. And a ton of credit goes to Lucic and a ton of credit goes to Peverly for stepping up. But David Krejci showed even back then the ability to just on the fly work with whatever he was given and and, and make it work. And and you know, that that three that, that that trio was great. I mean, like like Lucic, Peverly, and Krejci, they did what they had to do, especially they were big in game they were bit really big in game five, uh, game four. Um, getting the Bruins going um, and it just worked. And and so he just was a, he was, he was like water. He just, whatever, whatever was asked of him, whatever situation, he just kind of went with the flow and, and, and excelled. Um, 
I have a favorite David Krejci memory, um, and I'm sure maybe you guys share this. So if it's the same memory, maybe you can just talk to the listeners about you know your memory of this play. And if you have a different memory, feel free to, to share that as well. And maybe it's a memory from being in the locker room. But um, I remember clear as day watching um, Game 7 versus Tampa Bay and 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 the, the ultimate go-ahead goal. And I just remember game-winning goal. That entire game, it was like you just knew watching it that whoever scored, <laughs> the later the game went, even if it was the second period, like you just knew – but the later the game went, you knew who was, whoever got that first goal was going to win the game. And when when Krejci scored in overtime, uh, I'm sorry, the third period on the pass from uh, – or Horton scores on the pass from Krejci, um, it was just like you just kind of – you were like, wow, I think the, like the Bruins are going to go to the cup finals here. Like this is crazy. And, of course, the last seven minutes was like agony getting there. But, you know, the the the, pat, the saucer pass to – to, to Nathan Horton on the, on the right post back door to give the Bruins the one at the lead in game seven against Tampa was just, that's going to be my number one David Krejci memory. Um, and I remember watching it uh, in my house and I remember where I was and what I was thinking and the butterflies I had. And I was like, fuck these. So, so part of my language, I try not to swear too much on this, but uh, I was like, this is they're they're they're, they're going to the cup finals. And, and uh, that's my favorite Krejci memory. So I don't know if you guys share that memory or if there's a different one as well. Yeah, that that's number one for me for sure. And I was I was there. I was an intern at WEI at the time, but I was covering all the Bruins home games. Um, Scott, with, you old. That's right. With a with <laughs> DJ Bean and Mike Petralia at the time, and uh, where they had like the way they set up the press box for playoffs back then, it used to wrap all the ways around. There's so many seats it would wrap all the ways around. So this was in the pre you know, rafters or whatever they call those seats up there. Now, like they, they didn't put fans up there for the playoffs. And I happened to be right behind the Bruins goal, looking down ice at that play developing into the Tampa zone. So, you know, starts with great patient breakout pass from Andrew Ferentz. Uh, And then just like perfectly encapsulates everything about Krejci, the way he sets it up where it's, you know, he's, he's not moving at, at top speed. He's, he kind of just glides into the offensive zone, finds the open space, pulls up, waits for Horton to put his stick down and perfect pass for the tap. And it was just like, you know, I, I think that breakout in part is, is a set play to combat that one, three, one neutral zone trap that Tampa, you know, famously had under Guy Boucher at that time. But crazy's part of it is, improvisation as much as anything it's just he sees a little bit of open space he skates into it and takes a look around and you know horton's obviously going on the net like like he's supposed to be on that play and crazy just waits for it to open up and makes the pass and it's like yeah it was just it was just kind of like that the perfect uh you know patience and in playmaking that we saw from him so often and obviously that there were so many big goals during that that run that you could pick out but um that's very close to if not at the top of the list yeah I remember where I was for that too I was actually watching the game up in New Hampshire um and I was watching it with some of my family members and uh that is one of the most memorable games in general which is funny because it only had the one goal but it felt like the whole time you knew from the beginning like you said Brian it was just going to be a one goal game it was that was the only one that was coming so whoever got it um and that even though 
your it's not your high scoring game. It's not, it's not, it was still one of the most dramatic games and so huge uh, for that season. So I, I do remember that play and I'm not sure. I, I would have to say that probably is mine as well, but he's had so many good playoff performances. I enjoyed, and this isn't a specific play, but I really enjoyed the time that I, we got to watch him play with Hall and Pasternak as a line. There were some stretches where they were they were very entertaining to watch. Um, and those were three guys that you're like, I don't know how we ever ended up getting to see these three guys on the same line because, I mean, wouldn't have thought Taylor Hall was necessarily going to be a Bruin. Um, but once you did see it, you're like, oh, I need to see more of this. And then when Krejci left for a season, I was like, well, darn, I wanted to watch more of that line. I wouldn't really get that much of it this year. Um, but in general, he has more of like a – it's more more what the way I remember him and think about him is just how he meshed and how he played with other players and made them look better. He made them look better. And also that he's so like the stereotypical like Boston Bruin mold is like a gritty, tough guy. And Krejci was the opposite of that, but he was perfect for for the team and um, kind of like a calming, steadying presence uh, is probably why he's had so, so much success with so many different line meets. You know, now that I think about it, as time goes on, you know, with this bridge, as you've mentioned, is kind of the end of an era officially. And so you you think back on the memories and also kind of, you know, it's easy to look about, look at how the Bruins, in my opinion, in, in, the, in the opinion of many, uh, I'm sure the players included, um, they at least left one cup on the table, um, but they had a crack at a couple more. But it makes you realize, like, Look, at least they got the one because you just realize how how hard it is. I mean, they it took you know it's just it's it's very difficult, and so you really appreciate that 2011 team. And I feel like a lot of people look back at the Montreal series because it's Montreal, the Philly series because it was revenge on Philly from the year before, and the Vancouver series because how much hatred grew in that series alone and how it was the classic East versus West Canadian city versus American city. It was a perfect Stanley cup final. But dare I say that that Tampa Bay team that year getting through them, like, I mean, that was a incredible series. And looking back now in retrospect, they may have been top to bottom, the best team the Bruins faced because that's that Vancouver team. Yeah. You had Ryan Kessler and the Sedins in their heyday, but I don't know. They like, Tampa Bay had a young Steven Stamkos who had already established himself as a 60 goal scorer, I think in the league. Uh, you had a young Victor Hedman. You had Marty St. Louis and Le Cavalier who could still play. Dwayne Rolson was lights out far better than Luongo was in their respective series against Boston. And there was a good supporting cast too. Like Ryan Malone was on Tampa. He was a good effective player back then. Teddy Purcell was good back then. Um, Sam, um, Simone Gagne, who was a Bruins killer was on that team. Um, you had you had guys that could, that were feisty like Steve Downey and and um, uh, Nate Thompson and they just they were just Eric Brewer was a good solid defenseman that Tampa Bay team that Bruins team beating them in that series I feel like is underrated not Game Seven Game Seven people talk about but and it was an unbelievable game no penalties but that Tampa Bay team may have been the best team the Bruins had to play top roster wise in hindsight like at the time i didn't realize how good victor Hedman was back then now he's like one of the best defensemen the world has been for 10 years so it's like um they were a great blend of 
youth in Stamkos and Hedman, and then experience with St. Louis and LeCavalier and Rolls and guys that have been there and done it before. And that Bruins team getting through that Tampa Bay team, I think is underrated. It was a great feat. And David Krejci had a hat trick in game six. The Bruins lost that game, but he had a hat trick in game six and his fingerprints were all over game seven. And so, yeah, Krejci was, you know, can't say enough good things about him as a player and a Bruin, but that Tampa Bay series, looking back, that team was really, really formidable. Yeah. And, and just the swings that that series took that like, not just from like one team winning to the other, but from high scoring to low scoring, like it was all over the place. And it was like every game felt unpredictable. Like Tam- Tampa scored five goals four times in that series. Like, like that's crazy. It's crazy to do that and win a series. Um, you know, Tim Thomas had some excellent games and had some pretty rough games in that series. Um, you know, same with Rollison on the other side, like that, that game two, that the Bruins are already down one nothing, and then they it's a six to five win, and you get that four points from Tyler Sagan in the in the second period, and he's only in there because Bergeron's dealing with the concussion, and Sagan had to come in. Like, yeah, that was it was a wild series, really start to finish, and then like it seemed like in the middle of the series maybe they were figuring each other out, and then even game six you get a five to four game. And then, of course, the the legendary one nothing game seven. Like it was, yeah, that was one of the you know more fun series. And by the way, none of the games went to overtime, which is crazy. Like it's it's extremely memorable, and you didn't even have any overtime heroics. But just uh, yeah, it was it was a very competitive series, and one that you know it seemed like both teams kind of kept figuring different things out about each other, and then having to solve and adjust and try different things and it all kind of culminated in in that game seven that was you know sort of like the the perfect hockey game like that no penalties and there were a lot of shots in that game if i remember correctly I, I was just gonna pull up the box score but i think like both teams were over 30 shots on goal or you know something like that like it you know like there were chances it wasn't like it was just like a boring dull game Mm. no it was a goalie game though like it was that's why you knew it was only going to be one goal like would probably decide it because it was like nobody can crack either of these goalies right now and, was, and, yeah. and uh in in the final against vancouver everybody was on serve at that point and vancouver was the home team for game seven so it was like okay every single game the home team's won you got, now have to go win game seven on the road in vancouver where you haven't won yet and I remember that I think I was I was in school that day. I was in high school because I'm young, Scott. Um, <laughs> I was in high yeah, school. I was, I was in school, or actually, <laughs> I had technically graduated yeah, by then. School. I graduated that spring from college. Yeah, so I was in high school. I it was my letter night, like to get my my varsity jacket letter night. I couldn't have given two craps about that. I my parents were so mad at me. I wouldn't take pictures. I grabbed the jacket, didn't wait for the ceremony to finish and went home so that I could get ready for game seven because I didn't want to miss it. I was such a pain in the ass that day. My family's still mad at me about it, but I was like, I have, I can't, I have to go. I, I couldn't think about anything else the whole day. So I, I was like, thank you. Grab my varsity jacket, peace out. And I was really glad that it wasn't a, 
uh, one nothing final for game seven of the Stanley Cup, though. Um, that game was actually enjoyable for Bruins fans because yeah. uh, the there wasn't a lot of uh, back and forth, like uh, there were lead changes and, and things like that. It was, it was actually an enjoyable game seven. Yeah, it, it really was. And, you know, one, one final thought for me is, um, and, and this comes to my mind because it's not just Krejci retiring as you, Bridget, you mentioned it. It's kind of, we're billing it as like, it's like the end of an era type thing. Right. And don't get me wrong. A Stanley cup championship is a Stanley cup championship. But one thing I really appreciate about that 2011 run is that it was everything you could possibly ask for in a Stanley cup run. Um, like Tampa Bay, you know, you, you, it wasn't like Tampa Bay winning a Stanley Cup in a bubble um, or the following year winning it where the Bell Center is empty and Tampa has fans. It wasn't like the Kings in 2012 where they just walked through everybody and there wasn't like a ton of like expe- you know suspense there. It wasn't even like Vegas this past year where it would, it, they weren't really challenged much, right? Um, like they, they, they go down to Montreal two games to none. One of the greatest rivalries in sports. You have to go into Montreal, tie the series. They do so in overtime. Um, game five, double OT. Game seven, OT. And then the following series, you sweep Philly. You do what you couldn't do the year before. One of the most embarrassing losses in league history, Bruins history for sure. And you you put yourself in the same exact situation, up three. But this time, you, you finished the job. Home ice was reversed. Tampa Bay, outstanding seven-game series. Vancouver, you go down again, two two games to none. Um, the hatred that boiled, and you win game seven for the Stanley Cup. Like, that run wasn't just a Stanley Cup run. And I'm not looking at this through Boston Bruins glasses. Like, that was an incredibly played, like, fi- like playoff run. There was drama. There was hatred. There was suspense. There was true, true moments of thinking the season was done, only to realize it wasn't. Um, and you just don't get that every year with a Stanley Cup champion. Um, oftentimes, it's just, you, just, you just don't. So I really respect that. And they didn't make it easy on themselves, but it really made for a memorable championship. And so, again, like end of an era, but that's that was just really special to watch, you know? Well, And, and while we're on 2011, uh, I wasn't there for this, but one of my favorite stories that has been told by other reporters, specifically uh, Steve Conroy, DJ Bean, who was covering them for EI at the time and Joe McDonald. Uh, I think they've all, they've all told a story and the Bruins during the Montreal series in the first round actually stayed in Lake Placid in upstate New York um, because there's like a long gap between games. It was like three days off or something. And I think it was between games three and four and DJ, Steve and Joe were like all in a bar and a bunch of the Bruins ended up at the, at the same bar restaurant, whatever. And they said that, um, you know, like there was like a karaoke machine there and people put on different songs and whatever. And Krejci went over and put on Journeys Don't Stop Believing. And because the Bruins were still trailing in the series at that time. And I guess like when they asked him about it after, he like totally denied that there was any meaning to it. But it's just like, it's it's funny. Like it's one of those funny Krejci moments where, you know, we hear that all the time and we see it sometimes in the media um, that he can be funny, but then like he won't even take credit for it. You know, he won't even because uh, like they were all, you know, the way they tell us like they'll be like, well, we have our, our lead if they win the Stanley Cup. Like 
they were trailing Montreal and Krejci put on don't stop believing. And like, he just, he refused to even like acknowledge that it had happened or that it was intentional or anything. Well, yeah, he didn't like to confirm much (laughs) to us. (laughs) He mentioned it in his statement that the Bruins put up and also kind of joked about it in his press conference today. Like, I know you guys, like, I, I know, you know, I don't like to talk much, but. Yeah. And that, and that's like, that's, that's another big thing. Like going forward, it's not just the on ice presence. It's the off ice presence. This, this locker room is going to, they're going to miss Bergeron's leadership and calmness and, 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 you know, in the exit interviews, like the players like they did with Bergeron, they had a little video wishing Krejci farewell and whatnot. And, you know, they all, they all talk about like how funny he is. And so there's an on ice difference next year for this team to overcome. And there's a, there's a locker room um, difference. There's a change in, I mean, half the team is gone. Half the locker room is gone from from the postseason. So it really does come down to Bergeron, um, Marchand, and Pasternak, and McAvoy. And I do think that's a big reason why Lucic is back, right? Like to to kind of remind this younger generation of like what it means to be a Bruin. Because Lucic, he hasn't been here for eight years, but he knows what it means to be a Bruin. And I think that he's here to help um, Marchand in a leadership role in the locker room and. Um, but in any event, um, a lot to look forward to. A lot of change. Um, change is exciting. It's there's going to be a lot. To, there's going to be no shortage of things to write about for for you, Scott, and, and Bridget, you as well, uh, when you're not producing Red Sox games. So, um, or maybe while you're producing Red Sox games. <laughs> don't, don't, don't tell them about my multitasking skills. <laughs> so, um, in any event, yeah, David Krejci retires from the NHL. Um, I don't know if you guys mentioned it, but he mentioned that. He's not coming back to the NHL. Um, he might return after January to play overseas in, in, in Czechia for the for the World Championships, but that's about it. If he even does that, so he's he's no longer a Bruin. Um, he's done, uh, and it's and it's time for the Bruins to to welcome in this new era. And it's going to be a transition, but we'll be here for it. Um, congrats to Krejci on the career, Bridget and Scott. Any final comments before we wrap this one up? No, just that I. Uh... Really enjoyed watching Krejci play. You know, I think, Bridget, like you, you were saying earlier, how, you know, maybe some fans maybe didn't totally appreciate the way he played. I mean, to me, he was one of the most fun Bruins to watch play. Like, just the, the way he saw the ice, the passes he made. Like, it's, you know, I'm definitely going to miss miss watching that because he, he was unique. Like, you know, in a league that kept getting faster, he continued to slow the game down when the puck was on his stick and just – um just have the perfect amount of patience, like know how to still protect the puck, even, you know, even if he's, even if guys around him are moving faster and it, I found that a a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. And, and not to show my bias completely, but uh, I think I started really caring more about the team. uh, Once Krejci started his career, because I really enjoyed watching him play. I became more and more invested following him. And then that snowballed into, you know, following the team and then the NHL. And then here we are now. So uh, Krejci, without Krejci being on the Bruins, maybe I'm not even in this business. I don't even know. Like, that's the thing. It's like, I was a big Sidney Crosby fan when I first got into hockey and David Krejci fan. And that has taken me from just being, you know, a, a teenager or, you know, in middle school or whatever it was, um, to now where I'm an NHL reporter and I'm a hockey broadcaster. And so 
in a, in like a very long-term way, he has definitely impacted my life and even my career decisions. So uh, I guess that's how I'd like to wrap it up. Well said. I'm glad that, uh, you know, he was, he had that impact on you, Bridget, and I'm sure he impacted a lot of uh, hockey fans and hockey players and the way he played and stuff. So with that said, um, we're about five weeks away from uh, preseason hockey. So we are getting there slowly, but surely. And, Bridget, Scott, myself will be here the entire time throughout the offseason um, doing the podcast as always. And um, that wraps up this episode. So thank you all for listening and we will talk to you very soon.